Today we've got a crazy story of revenge where a boss misses out on a hundred million dollars. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, Jerk learns, you take a pic of me, I take a pic of you. The scene, a cheap airline flight in which you get exactly what you pay for, this was just last night. The characters, seat D, aisle, middle-aged man, average in every way, I assume. Seat E, my chubby self. Seat F, the window, a pleasant larger guy who did use a bit of my seat, which was fine, the flight was under 100 bucks and it's not forever. Seat D, who we'll call Richard for this story, became fidgety and started sighing loudly when we were delayed on the tarmac. No problem, Richard probably felt frustrated. Then he took a selfie that included the whole row. Eh, Richard, a bit weird, whatever. So I did a look at his phone. He's sending this pic to people complaining about how fat myself and Frank were in seat F. Eh, life must be hard for Richard. Then I pulled out some hard candy, because I'm fat obviously, only fat people eat candy, obviously. So he put his phone where I could see it and typed, now the fat girl's getting her candy out. Okay Richard, settle down. In the glance I got to see other texts describing how I was spilling into his seat. Incorrect, but clearly life is hard for Richard. So then I said, you know, if you're unhappy with your seat because I'm too fat for you, you can ask a flight attendant to move you. All smiles for real. Richard said nothing, did nothing, but the fidgets and sighs stopped. He kept texting, but out of my sight. Fast forward to the middle of the flight, Richard snoozing, head flopped back, mouth open. So I took a picture of this gift to mankind. He slept until the last 20 minutes of the flight. In the last 20 minutes, I edited the heck out of this photo, but in the pettiest way. No horns or anything. Just decorated the border with different flowers then decided, no, erased and did different decorations. For 20 minutes. He's just watching but didn't say anything. So I tried some various captions like, fat women scare me, touching fat women makes me feel yucky inside, etc. I also verbally consulted with Frank about my choice of flower stickers. Richard turns in his seat and faces the aisle. I didn't see his face again, ever because he stayed like that till he could get off, and I had to get my coat from above. But I'll always have the memories. Nice meeting you, Richard. You would just think if he's gonna be a jerk like that, that maybe he'd be just a little bit more secretive about it. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of revenge, why not hit that subscribe button down below? That said, our next story is, Creep gets a taste of his own medicine. I don't know if this belongs here, but yesterday I, 17-year-old female, went to the movies with my three brothers, 20, 20, and 14, and while we were walking out, some random dude who looked like 40 or something said, hey gorgeous, and slapped my butt, which caught me completely off guard. My brothers were behind me and saw everything, so when I turned around to give the guy a piece of my mind, I saw my older brothers come up behind the dude and say, hey gorgeous, and slap his butt and my younger brother gave him a wink as he passed the dude. I love my brothers. I was gonna say it's nice that they didn't get physical with him, but they kinda did. This next story is rude customers and fast food. I used to work in a fast food restaurant, and on a daily basis, people were always incredibly rude. I would always find ways to get back at them that were harmless and technically still doing my job but still inconvenience them. One of my favorites when they were rude was give them back inconvenient change. Honk at me in the drive-thru? 
You get five pennies when I could have given you a nickel. Customers often complained when they ordered a larger drink size, when they in fact had not, and I had it corrected anyway. So I took a large cup, packed it to capacity with ice, then poured the amount of drink from the medium size, so they still wound up with just a medium drink. I would also top it off with just water sometimes. Another time, a lady was incredibly rude and telling me she wanted no receipt, so you better believe it was in the bag. If there is one person that you don't want to be rude to for no reason, it's somebody handling your food for minimum wage. Our next story is, wannabe real estate mogul gets locked up, checks voicemail. Around 10 years ago, I was on business in a mid-sized city in the US Midwest, where I happened to have a few friends from earlier in my life. I took a friend who we shall call Jay out to an Irish pub for some drinks. This pub isn't downtown, but it's in kind of a hip, upscale outdoor shopping area that's known for containing upper middle class D-bags and the stores they frequent. Note that Jay is a woman and I'm a guy, and we're just friends. This becomes important. We sat at the bar. Next to us was a man with a girl on either side of him. They were very hot and dressed very revealingly. He was quite drunk and our seats weren't yet warm when he looked at me and said, Taking the lady out, huh? I'm celebrating, let's do a shot. He gives me a business card. Jay and I introduced ourselves to the guy and his companions. Fearing that correcting him on the date night comment will ruin what could be a night full of free booze, we accepted and drank said shot. Big mistake. I turned back to talk to my friend, but my guy kept engaging us calling my name, talking about how successful he is, asking about my work, etc, etc. It became evident that we're in the presence of one of the jerks that this area of town is known for. Great. Since he just bought us free alcohol, I turned to him and politely asked what we're celebrating. Dude took that as his license to reveal his complete douchery at the drop of a hat. First, he flashed his wad of cash and then said, I just made a lot of money. I congratulated him and tried to turn around and spend time with Jay. He would not let it go, kept calling my name, asking me about work, bragging about money, and had the audacity to say, I bought you a drink so you have to talk to me for a bit. It was at this point I decided to knock the guy down a few notches. So I turned back around and I asked him how he made so much money today. He said, I'm a real estate investor. I said, oh, so you sold some inventory? He said, no, I just bought a few more units. So I said, well, then you haven't made any money at all yet, have you? You just expect to. You actually either just lost some cash today and are less liquid than you were this morning, or you increased your debt and that's about it. You haven't made crap, am I right? The girls laughed at him and he sheepishly said, yeah, I guess. And for the knockout, I said, also, what does the wad of money have to do with buying real estate? Do you just like to flash wads of cash to impress women? Does that work? Ever? Now leave me and my friend alone. Then I took $40 out of my wallet and told the bartender to remove my shots from his tab and keep the change. Well this made our very drunk new friend very angry. He yelled freak you to me and ran out of the bar trying to escape his tab. Well this jerk didn't think it through because he left his credit card with the bartender. So the bartender, realizing he has a good tipper in front of him and that he won't have a short till at the end of the night, just shrugged and we let it be. The female companions, who revealed themselves to be pros, shocker, left. 
I looked at the now empty seats and see that idiot also left his laptop bag. We ordered a couple more shots and a couple pints. Ten minutes later, a new patron came in and asked the bartender if he knew there was a man outside peeing on all of the door handles. Super gross. Guess who it was? The bartender vaulted the bar and cleared it by a good foot in one of the most casually athletic feats I've ever seen. I didn't even see his hand touch the bar. It was incredible. There's something about pissed off Irishmen that turn them into freaking superheroes. Anyway, the bartender grabbed the laptop bag, took it outside, and started beating the poop out of Mr. Real Estate with it. Then after the peeing stopped, the bartender threw the bag into the street. Our mogul grabbed his laptop, got into his car, did a burnout around the corner, and yelled, Freak you! out his window to all of us. Unfortunately, a police car was parked in the intersection. The cop turned on his lights, and without moving more than 10 feet, pulled this guy over and gave him a DUI. This guy literally got a DUI in the crosswalk of the intersection he burned out around. So we laughed, pointed and ridiculed him because we're considerate. Now, this particular city had slash has really strict DUI laws, and they wouldn't release you until you went in front of a judge, which couldn't happen until you dried out for 24 hours. Note that this event happened on a Thursday night, which meant bro is now staying in the drunk tank until Monday late morning at the earliest. So I did what any petty human would. I gave his work and mobile numbers from his business card to all my friends and told them what happened. One of them put it on Craigslist and within half an hour, this guy's work voicemail and mobile voicemail were full of prank calls. Fake lawyers, fake priests, fake escorts, you name it, they blanketed him. I finished the night with Jay, gave her a hug goodbye, went to my hotel, slept like a baby, and led a great meeting the next day. It brought me joy to think that this guy had to get out of the drunk tank and relive his bad decisions as he filtered through the voicemail after voicemail of prank calls telling him what a crap person he was. If that is an instant karma, I don't know what is. Our next story is, if your significant other cheats on you, don't let them know that you know. Instead, destroy them emotionally. I saw this on TikTok and I just had to mention it here. It's so perfectly petty and will destroy them emotionally. If your significant other cheats on you, don't let them know that you know. They come out fine having had sex and got what they wanted. You're the one suffering and feeling betrayed. Instead, take a moment to cry and process by yourself. Then, make a list of everything that they love about themselves. Then take them out to a nice restaurant. Halfway through, just go, I can't do this anymore. They'll ask, what? And then you bring out the list and destroy them with it. Say they are the opposite of everything. If your soon-to-be ex loves that they're funny, tell them they aren't funny. If they love that they're good at cooking, tell them they're awful at cooking. Everything along those lines. At the end, say, The one good thing you had going for you was that you're loyal. It will destroy them emotionally. They'll be thinking about it forever and you come out on top. And it's the most petty and most beautiful form of revenge. Not gonna lie, I'm wondering if this is actually effective. I feel like if you're capable of lying about cheating, you're capable of looking past that kind of stuff pretty easily. This next story is, quiet your dog or I'll silence your audacity. One of our neighbors down the hall has a dog that barks non-stop all day long. Many people have reported it and complained to the building 24-hour security. 
Today, the dog's owner posted a really rude passive-aggressive notice on their door, telling people to mind their own business and deal with it. The sign also admits to breaking a few other local and building bylaws. Signs on doors are a violation of the building rules. I reported the sign to management, who are now looking into evicting them if they don't stop the barking. Note, I love dogs, I hate bad dog owners and self-entitled jerks. I hope the dog ends up living somewhere better for her, with humans who take care of her needs. Update, turns out they're also expecting a baby soon. I feel bad for the poor child. These people aren't going to be good parents. Definitely have to do better than that with your canines if you're living in apartments. This next story is, the robo-sprinklers claim another victim, not the bucket woman. For the unfamiliar, my partner bought some motion-activated sprinklers, dubbed the robo-sprinklers, for the front garden to help us with a nosy neighbor problem, as suggested by this sub. This nosy neighbor, nicknamed the Bucket Woman after Hyacinth Bucket, its bouquet, haunts the untenanted rental property next door. No, she's not dead. If she were, we would call an exorcist. She just hangs around to keep an eye on the empty property and complains a lot. She's fixated on bins, grass, snakes, and our interior decor. After extensive testing, Martin and some of his friends set up the sprinklers so that anyone crossing the garden beds would get squirted. But if visitors stick to the paths, they'll stay dry. Our family and friends know this, but for visitors, there is a sign asking people to respect our garden and keep to the paths. The sign was a thank you for having us present from my brother and his wife. Well, today, the robo-sprinklers claimed another victim. Next door to us on the other side is up for sale, not the bucket woman, disappointing I know, and today it's open for inspection, all well and good, except we're expecting one of Martin's gardening mates, Robbo, to bring over some plants for the front garden and there's nowhere to park in the street. So Martin texted Robbo that we'd leave the gate open so he could back into the driveway and unload. We knew we were taking a risk, but we had to live our lives too. Now, I'll have to admit, I was asleep for most of this, but according to my partner, he heard one of the robo-sprinklers go off and headed for the door, ready to tell his mate to stop mucking around with the sprinklers, the baby's asleep. Instead, he saw a complete stranger standing in our driveway, confused and a bit soggy, just like the brochure he was clutching. Martin said he glared at the man, pointed to the sign, and then pointed towards next door. The guy left, looking a bit sheepish and wet. When the new human and I came out of the bedroom, we could hear the sound of laughter and two grown men impersonating Bill Laurie. Got him! Oh, he's gone! Martin and Robbo were in the next office watching the security footage. The robo-sprinkler's victim came into our driveway and was looking at next door. Then he started backing up onto the garden bed, nearly standing on the sign until he crossed Robo-Sprinkler 2's sensor and got squirted in the back. The guy jumped in the air, looked around to see what just hit him, and then Robo-Sprinkler 2 got him a second time. Then the guy ran for the driveway where Martin found him. Martin and I both hope this guy doesn't end up buying next door, and we both agree that watching motion-activated sprinklers in action never gets old. So the list of the Robo-Sprinkler's known victims now include Max, the neighbor's cat, the bucket woman, various unknown people who were rummaging through a rubbish skip in our driveway, the bucket woman again, and now the guy who's hopefully not going to be our next door neighbor. An anonymous online reviewer also says the sprinklers are effective against possums and his mother-in-law, 
not to mention the legion of family and friends who have set them off deliberately. Martin wants me to say you're all bad influences, and he's having way too much fun with the robo-sprinklers. Hey, if the police aren't going to crack down on that, you're not going to be in any legal trouble. Spray away. This next story is, lie about me in front of me and my colleague? Get the smallest room in the hotel. Disclaimer, I'm typing this on my phone after being stuck on a train for 9 hours. There will be grammatical errors and I will be too lazy to correct them. I used to work at the reception of a 4 star hotel in Paris. A decent part of our client base were here for business. They usually stay 1-3 to nights a week every week or month. This particular day, around 6pm, my coworker went for a smoke, leaving me at the front desk by myself. And I got a phone call, so I answered it. While I was on the phone, a regular guest arrives. Seeing him, I salute him with a nod, to which he replied with the same, and got back to my call. Etiquette would have me put the call on hold, but I was closing the deal and already collecting important data, credit card details, so I decided to finish the call and then take care of my guest. My colleague came back and started taking care of him. I hung up somewhat 30 seconds after she came back. And here goes the guest saying that I left him to wait 10 minutes without even greeting him. The call history read, on call for 5 minutes, and when this jerk arrived I was already over 3 minutes into it. Now let's get some context about this respectable piece of poop. He and his colleague never made the reservation themselves. Their equally horrible assistant did it for them always contesting pricing or method of payment, even when there was a contract with the hotel for a short period. We ended the contract later on. Needless to say that I was fed up with these people. Here comes the petty revenge. Out of the 87 rooms, we had 24 classic rooms sized around 15 square meters, except for one, that's 11. I gave him that night this very small room, the smallest in the whole hotel. And for the next three years that I worked there, every time his name came up, I would put him there. Even if it meant I had to juggle the rooming for two hours. Me working there, he would never see another room. Even after COVID and not seeing him for a year, I didn't forget that one lie and kept giving him the small room. The only downside is, if he's there by himself, even the small room's probably good enough. Our next story is... Boss missed out on $100 million for treating his employee poorly. I used to work at a consulting company in Asia owned by a baby boomer European guy. Let's call the company COG and the owner Jerk. To give a brief background, Jerk spent his entire career working in the hospitality industry for various hotel brands all over the world. At one point, he specialized in one niche area in the industry and set up a consulting firm to provide consultancy to his business connections. The company employees were majority expats. I spent my entire career working in the financial industry and I'm quite a specialist in the field of capital market fundraising. Richard approached me with a great plan to enlist one of his properties in North America in a stock market. At that time, it seemed to be a good project. He also offered me a management position in the company he set up to deal with the listing process and a good salary in comparison to the job I had at the time. The agreement stated that if any party would like to terminate this agreement, they need to inform the other party three months in advance. Failing to do so will cost the party who initiated the termination a penalty fee equal to three months salary. This will be relevant later. Unfortunately, I joined the company at the worst possible time. 
The year end of 2019, initially things were alright. Richard spent only one to two days a week at the office and spent the rest of the week abroad to acquire new businesses. However, as everyone knows, a few months after that, the COVID pandemic hit the hospitality sectors globally. Richard lost all his business deals in the pipeline. His property in North America was also shut down. The only income stream for the company was payments from the existing contracts. Richard got stuck in the office for seven days a week with not much money in the bank account. This is when he showed his true characteristics. Despite the government's highly encouraged work-from-home policy, Richard was dissatisfied with the idea. As a boomer, he wanted to see his employees working all the time. He called anyone who chose to work from home as lazy and cowardly. In addition, he would randomly call them several times a day on non-important issues just to ensure everyone was at the desk all the time. Furthermore, he would assign lots of non-necessary tasks, remember all business deals were cancelled, to these people to do so they would need to stay very late to finish the work. He cut off 20-30% to salary for all employees, including himself. This seemed acceptable at that time given the economic conditions, however this will come up later. He would be pissed off at anyone in the company who mentioned any news about the pandemic. He just wanted to pretend that nothing severe happened and that things would be back to normal soon. Due to the pandemic and the financial status of the company, my role significantly shifted from getting a company listed to selling our assets to whoever gives the right price. Thus, the company can survive. During these months, I had to work closely with the company's CFO called Fatty. Fatty had a very impressive resume with a degree from an Ivy League university. However, for some reason, there was nothing inside that brain. He could talk about all the financial jargon all day long, but he could not understand even the basic concepts of those words. Fatty would make mistakes all the time and trouble other colleagues. For some odd reason, Fatty would only receive minor criticism from Richard. Conversely, if other employees made one-tenth of the mistakes that Fatty did, they would receive harsh criticism. We were approached by various buyers. One of them was the largest real estate developer in this country. Let's call Mackie. We had a few meetings with senior executives from Mackie to present our North American properties. They seemed to be interested to invest $100 million in acquiring the property, but then they just disappeared. Later on, we were approached by a private equity firm, let's call Dummy. Rather than acquiring the property, Dummy made an offer for shares of COG. As a result, a series of due diligence occurred. I had to lead the deal from my side. During the process of document preparation, I found various histories about Richard and the business COG. Richard always claimed to his potential clients that his company had been involved in various projects worth billions of dollars in the past. It was partially true. However, his participation was very limited to less than 1% of those projects. There were a few other projects in that COG played a vital role. However, those projects were relatively small. To make matters worse, 100% of them fail before completion. There were various companies that Richard claimed to have co-founded or was part of the key management. However, there were no official records of it. By digging into financial statements, I found out that he paid back all the money he saved from cutting employees' salaries into his personal account as a form of bonus. I felt horrible for working for such a phony. 
However, at the time, it was in quarter 4, 2020, it was way, way too difficult to get a new job in the middle of the pandemic. The last straw came when we were about to submit the financial model to Dummy to set the valuation. I developed a financial model which would calculate all the potential deals into the valuation. All I need was the input of pipeline data from Fatty. After I plugged in the data, Richard asked Fatty to help review it. Fatty complained to everyone that the model was wrong and that there were so many mistakes. When I checked, all those mistakes that he mentioned came from those inputs he provided to me. Garbage in, garbage out. I informed Richard that it wasn't my mistake, but Fatty's. However, Richard criticized me for not being responsible for my own mistakes and said that even though it was Fatty's mistake, I was still responsible to verify them. How the freak could I verify the correctness of the raw data? I wanted to quit so badly at this point. Remember the three-month notice period? This is where it became relevant. Throughout 2020, various employees quit. However, the term became a pain in the butt. It would be highly difficult for anyone to find potential employers who would be willing to wait for three months till the notice period is served. Thus, the employees had to either pay the penalty fees or put in their resignation in advance before starting to look for a job. For the locals, we could take the risk of staying at home with no job. However, the expats needed to choose either to take a risk in leaving the country or to pay the fees. Most chose to do the latter. The worst thing I experienced about this contract clause was when one of my colleagues who was one of the first employees of this company decided to quit because her grandmother was about to die in a few weeks. Therefore, she wanted to go back home as soon as possible to spend the remaining time with her grandmother. Yet Richard insisted that she needed to pay the penalty fee. In every meeting, Richard would try his best to scare the poop out of everyone by talking about those companies that went bankrupt and trying to remind us to be grateful for having jobs. I hold my grudge and waited patiently till February 2021. The pandemic became better and employers started hiring again. I got three offers within the second week of the month. Based on my situation, I knew that I would eventually get a job either in these three companies or somewhere else. Thus, I submitted my resignation, which would be effective in May. Richard was furious. He knew he couldn't lose me at that stage, since I was the only one who could execute with dummy, but he was too arrogant to admit it. Instead, he gave me the worst counteroffer discussion anyone could have. He said that I was a coward for jumping away from the crisis, and I would be a failure all my life if I choose to walk away now. He tried to talk about all the deals that would be coming, and I would miss out on working on those projects. He said that I should ignore the higher salary that other companies might offer. The pandemic was harsh for everyone. I should stay to see the company's greatness. In the meantime, I could ask for money for my parents, or my wife's parents. Needless to say, the conversation did not change my mind even a bit. When all those efforts failed, he brought up the three-month notice period. He said that no company would be willing to wait three months and that I needed to pay a penalty fee to him if I quit. Unfortunately, this was when his own policy backfired. I intentionally did all the stupid mistakes that Fatty did. When he complained, I simply responded, it was his responsibility to verify the information that I submitted. I did my job very slowly. Thus, he had to pay me three months salary for the work I normally completed in one week. Whenever he complained, 
I told him that he could fire me anytime. In that case, he needed to pay me three months salary as a penalty fee. For a person who always takes advantage of his employees, he probably wanted to scream at me. However, that wasn't yet the best part. By the end of April, HR from Mackey approached me. She said that she got my contact from a business card I gave to the senior executives several months ago. It turned out that the executives were very impressed with my skills. They wanted to hire a new vice president and viewed me as a high potential candidate. I took the offer and started working two weeks later. A few months later, Richard tried to use all his connections to reach Mackey's chairman to propose his North American property once again. The chairman assigned my team to review the property one more time. Last time, they were interested, but they didn't want to make an acquisition right in the middle of the pandemic. This time, they felt the timing might be right and would like to explore in more detail. My boss assigned me to look after the project. Since I knew everything about the property, he let me decide whether we should move forward with the deal. To be honest, the property was fine, and Richard has improved the property's performance very well since his acquisition. However, a year ago when we first approached Mackey, Richard explained to me how he would screw every penny out of Mackey's pockets. To avoid criticizing Richard directly, I didn't want to look like a guy who badmouthed his ex-employer. I pointed out all the loopholes within the business model and explained that we could be taken advantage of from these loopholes if we proceed. Being a smart man, my new boss could sense something fishy about Richard, so he asked me to speak more about my experience. I told him about some of Richard's unethical behaviors mentioned above. Mackey management not only decided not to invest in Cog's properties, but they also blacklisted Cog and Richard from being potential vendors. Of course they slash everybody's wages and then just pocket all of that extra money during the pandemic. If I was going into that counteroffer and they say the very first thing that I was a coward for jumping away from the crisis, if I had any slight doubts on whether or not I should actually stay instead, it would have been gone after that first sentence. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely crazy story of revenge, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.